Let's look in Joshua chapter 14 tonight. Joshua chapter 14 for our scripture reading. A message I call ownership and possession. Ownership and possession. Joshua chapter 14 verse 9. And Moses swear on that day saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever. Because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold the Lord hath kept me alive. As he said these forty and five years. Ever since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. That's 85. And that's Caleb, by the way. We've been looking on Sunday nights at the book of Joshua, not in a verse-by-verse -verse kind of a study, but rather in a thematic way, as I call it, kind of hitting high points as we go through the book We've done so under the concept of going further, looking at how the book of Joshua uh, encourages us to go on and the way that God moves to take us to places that we've never been, to take us further in our spiritual journey, maybe than we ever imagined or dreamed of, certainly further than we would have ever gone on our own had God just left us to ourselves. But of course He doesn't. He moves to move us on. And that's what we see, I think, illustrated so wonderfully well in that beautiful Old Testament kind of way, uh, picture book kind of way. We see it illustrated so wonderfully in the book of Joshua. In this section of the book of Joshua, there are really a couple of questions that will surface, and, and we'll see that as we go along after we orient ourselves to the context. Now, remember the Gibeonites and how they had made an alliance with the children of Israel, and after that, of course, war broke out again, and, and they had to go and face that Canaanite uh, conspiracy, the Canaanite alliance, as all those kings got together and they won that battle. And from there, that's all the way back in chapter 10, uh, the Bible gives us this description uh, a kind of a synopsis of what was going on in Joshua chapter 11 and verse 15. As the Lord commanded Moses his servant, so did Moses command Joshua, and so did Joshua. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Moses. So Joshua took all that land, the hills, all the south country, all the land of Goshen, and the valley, and the plain, and the mountain of Israel, even the valley of the same. Even from the Mount Halak that goeth up to Seir, even unto Baalgad in the valley of Lebanon, under Mount Hermon, and all their kings he took and smote them and slew them. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. Then in Joshua chapter 12 and verse 24, uh, at the list of that long list of kings that Joshua killed, it comes verse 24, the king of Terzah won all the kings, 30 and 1, 31 kings and their armies were wiped out by Joshua. Uh, that was quite a general, quite a military conquest. They'd moved from victory unto victory, with the only exception being that uh, horrible, horrible debacle at Ai. Uh, and though it had been involved a long period of war, it involved the gruesome, grueling task for the armies of Israel, of being the implements of God's judgments against the Canaanite people. Joshua 13, 1 then says, Joshua was old and stricken in years, and the Lord said unto him, Thou art old and stricken in years. <laughs> and there remaineth yet very much land, noticed to be possessed. To be possessed. 
Joshua 11 and 19, then all of this just setting the context for you tonight. I'll stop reading to you in a minute. Joshua 11, 19, there was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel, save the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon, all others they took in battle. For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts, that is of the Canaanites, that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might destroy them utterly, and that they may have no favor, but that he might destroy them as the Lord commanded Moses. And at that time came Joshua and cut off the Anakim from the mountains, from Hebron, from Devere, and from Anab, and from all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel. Joshua destroyed them utterly in their cities. There was none of the Anakim left in the land of the children of Israel, only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod. If that sounds familiar to you, it should. Those are three principal cities of the Philistines. Philistines. Uh, Gaza, Gath, and in Ashdod there remained. So Joshua took the whole land... According to all that the Lord said unto Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance unto Israel according to their divisions by their scribes, and the land rested from war. Now we might wonder what's going on because God said to Joshua, there's still a lot of land to be possessed, but then the Bible also says, but the war was over. What does that mean exactly? Well, of course, we understand. It's one thing to win a battle and to defeat an army. Uh, Joshua had fought the Canaanites until there were no more armies left on the field. He had defeated all the kings, all the armies. They were gone. They'd all been defeated, all been conquered. Almost all of them had been killed. The armies of the Canaanites were gone. And yet God said, there's still much land to be possessed. Uh, it's one thing to win a military campaign or to win a battle. It's another thing to actually possess that land that has been conquered. There was much left to be possessed. What it was, what God was telling them was that their battle time for the most part was over. It was not going to be a time of war for kings to line up their armies in a mighty battle again and fight to the death on the field. It wasn't going to be that kind of fight anymore. Now they were going to fight to possess the land. Uh, Louisiana Purchase was made in 828,000 square miles of land were purchased by the United States for the astonishing price of three cents an acre. I'd like to have $100 of that right now. In fact, I believe I could pay for it on the spot. Three cents an acre, 828,000 square miles. All it took was a signature of a few guys and $15 million changed hands. And the Louisiana purchase legally was made for the United States 828,000 square miles. Didn't take much for the money to change hands, and it didn't take much for a few guys to sign a signature on a document. But it would take 100 years and a whole lot of war and bloodshed before we had actually possessed that land. 828,000 square miles. Hmm. Joshua then puts before us these two questions that relate to our theme of, of going on and possessing. It's one thing to conquer something. It's one thing to have something or to have even won a victory over something. It's another thing then to possess what has been conquered. 
The two great questions that will be considered in this passage is, uh, how long will you wait? How long will you keep going in order to possess what God has given us? And how fully then are we willing to possess that victory? How long will we keep going? How long will we keep being faithful in order to possess that victory that God has given us? How fully are we willing to possess it? This is what's before us in our message. It's one thing to have ownership. It's another thing to possess what we own. Now we know that Joshua in the Old Testament was a type of Jesus Christ, his very name. Again, as I mentioned this morning, the name we call Jesus in the New Testament was Joshua in the Old Testament. It means deliverer or savior. Joshua had led them to complete victory. God emphasizes that. There were no more wars for this great general to fight because there were no more armies left to conquer. That reminds me of what Jesus, our Joshua, is said to have done in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14 when he blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled the principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in his cross. The Bible then presents the totality of Jesus' victory when he died for us on the cross. The cross not only delivered us from the curse of the law, but it was a complete and utter victory over the forces of evil. Our great Joshua, Jesus Christ, has won that victory, and his victory is both absolute and accomplished. And yet Ephesians 6.12 tells us, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now wait a minute. Has the battle been won, or do we still have to fight? Yes. The battle's been won. Jesus won an absolute and total victory. Yet we wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. See, what we wrestle with today is not to win the victory. That has already been accomplished. Every bit as much as Joshua had accomplished that victory over all the armies and all the kings of the Canaanites. No more war to be fought because there were no more armies out there to fight. He had disarmed the principalities and powers. They were gone. It was possessing the land that was now going to be their focus. And though it wasn't going to be armies on the field of battle, that had been done. Joshua, their general, had led them in that victory, unto victory, unto victory, unto victory. But now they were going to have to possess it. That's our battle tonight. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 tells us that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That is what He has given to us, what His uh, victory has brought to us. But the question is... How much of that victory are we actually living out? How much of that victory that Jesus Christ won for us are we actually going to possess and make ours? It's one thing to have the victory, to have our name on the deed. 
It's another thing to actually possess what has been made ours. It's a great story. It's not Joshua that's going to tell us how that played out in this Old Testament picture book kind of way. It's Caleb. Caleb, who appeared before Joshua on his 85th birthday. People today sometimes talk about the bold and the beautiful. Uh, Caleb was the bold and the old. <laughs> I like that. 85 years old. And uh, we remember Caleb. He was one of the spies that was sent into the land. And yes, he traveled over the lands of the giants, the Anakim. He was the one who saw it. He was the one that reported it. And yet he was also the one who said that our God can give us a victory. Caleb was the one who gave a faith response to that. And in response to that, we're going to see in a few moments, read the passage where Moses actually told him, everywhere where your foot traveled on, that land that you went and spied out is yours. I'm going to give it to you. And now here's Caleb showing up, 85 years old. And it's time for him to claim that promise. It is said repeatedly that Caleb fully followed the Lord. And it's no surprise then that Caleb stands up at just this moment in time as an example of one who set out to fully possess what God had given him. A couple of simple points that is the way that this story plays out. How do we do it? We do it tonight the same way that Caleb did it. Uh, how did Caleb do it? How did he possess what God had given him? through this incredible victory. Well, first of all, there's a truth uh, that he trusted, and then the Bible emphasizes the time that he trusted, what he trusted in and how long, the truth he trusted and the time that he trusted. Verse 10, And now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, ever since the Lord spoke this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day forty, fourscore and five years old. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 24, But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in me and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. The rugged land, the mountain country, that was the final retreat, the holdout of the Anakim. The Anakim were a race of giants. A lot of biblical speculation has gone on through the years about them. We don't know. Uh, that much about them. Goliath, of course, probably was the most famous uh, of these descendants, but uh, they were there. The Bible talks about them repeatedly. Uh, uh, you might get one of those internet hoaxes that shows them digging up a skeleton that looks 40 foot tall. Don't believe it. Uh, don't pass it around. Don't send it around. It's just designed to make Christians look foolish. No, uh, I don't care if they ever uncover a skeleton of a giant. I know they were there because the Bible says they were there. That's all I need. They were there. They lived in the mountains. They were really big, really strong. In the days of hand-to-hand -hand combat, an eight, nine-foot-tall guy had a really distinct advantage. He might not hold out very well against a 50 caliber machine gun, but if everybody was just having a sword and spear, he had an advantage. The Anakim, very strong, very large, and very much to be feared. And they had the high ground. All of them giving us, giving them a great advantage. And yet Caleb embraced the truth of this promise by faith. Never shook in his understanding of it. He accepted what God had told him as being true. It's time for me to go, he says to Joshua. Just like God spoke his word unto Moses, and it's time for me to get up there and take care of business. That land is mine, 
and I'm going to take it. How did he do that? Because he believed the promises of God. There is no telling what you and I, as the believers in Jesus Christ, can accomplish if we will just go out and claim the promises of God and say, God, I'm going to do what you told me to do. I'm going to follow your leadership. I know that you're leading me to do this. I know what you have promised me in your word. I'm going to claim those promises and do them. We supply the faith. Let God take care of his reputation. He will. He will. Trust him. That's what he said to do. Joshua went out by faith, claiming the, or Caleb went out by faith, rather, claiming the promises of God. He was 85 years old. Did I mention that? 85 years old. That brings uh, about uh, our consideration of the time, not only the truth, but the time. And we have to kind of put these together because the Bible does. Uh, it's hard to consider one without the other. The truth that he trusted. God is going to give him that land that he spied out. Wherever his feet had walked, whatever he had crossed up in those hills, whatever land he had been given the responsibility of going and looking at and came back and reported the children of Israel, we can conquer that land, we can take that place. And God said, because you follow me fully, that land is going to be yours and your descendants. There's giants up there. They say the land is theirs. Caleb said, God said it's mine. When you're in the land of the giants, we better be ready to listen to the word of God. We live in the land of giants. There's a lot of things stand between us. Intimidating things, powerful things. Our own history, our own experience often stands between us and the victory that Jesus Christ has won. The promises that he has made us, the truth that he has given to us as being our victory. We can be intimidated away from them or we can claim the promises of God. How long? Well, he says in Joshua 14 and 10 in our text tonight, Now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, ever since the Lord spoke this word unto Moses. Now the New Testament makes this point to us in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 35, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. We need to learn a lesson from Caleb tonight. 45 year lesson 45 years Caleb was faithful if he was 20 years old when this stuff started he would have been 65 but he wasn't he was 40 years old now he's 85 for 45 years he had trusted God while God judged a nation for a sin that he didn't commit for a rebellion that he wasn't a part of for 45 years, he would watch everybody else his age die. Through all of the battles, once they entered into the land, Caleb stood strong. God preserved him. God protected him. God kept him alive for 45 years. Understand what an amazing thing that was. Caleb did. All these other people around me it died off, but not me. Tell you what, when you looked at the children of Israel, you didn't see a lot of gray hair in these days. All the older folks was gone. 
45 years. <laughs> One preacher said we do good today, these days to stay at it for 45 minutes to claim the promises of God. 45 years. He followed the Lord when he was fighting the enemies of Israel. He followed the Lord when he was executing God's judgment on the Canaanites. He followed the Lord for 40 years when his nation was judged. He followed the Lord for 45 years. The Lord hath kept me alive. Through it all, Caleb lived. If nothing else tonight, we can leave out of here being reminded that our lives are in the hands of Almighty God. And when his promises are through in our life, He's going to take us home to heaven. That's the last promise he gives us. If I didn't have any more of the promises of God to claim, might as well go home and claim the last one. He was still claiming for 85 years old. Caleb gives me a lot of hope. Who knows what God is going to do in my life? Who knows what God is going to do in your life? Between now and the time he takes you on to glory. But I know one thing. You're not going to die until God's finished with you. I know that. I, I can see it right here in this passage. The Lord, Caleb said, has kept me alive. Everybody else died off. So many, not me. I've lived. God has kept me alive. But he didn't just keep Caleb alive. He kept him strong. Look at what he says in verse 11. As yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war both to go out and to come in. 85 years old. Now we might think that Caleb was falling victim to a problem that a lot of people have, especially a lot of men have, in thinking as we get older that we can still do what we used to do when we were younger. Now, a lot of us have that problem, and I have to admit that from time to time, I'm very forcibly reminded that I can't do some of the things that I used to do quite as quickly as I used to do them. I can still do them most of the time, just not as fast. We understand. Well, Caleb might have been a little bit boastful. No, he wasn't. It's right here in the Word of God, and I believe what Caleb gave as his testimony. Why do I believe it? God did the same thing for Moses. God had done the same thing for Joshua. God did the same thing for Sarah long before. 90-year-old Sarah having a baby. You know God had to give her some strength. You know he did. God was able not just to keep them alive, but to give them the strength, listen, for the task that he had for them to do. Not every task that God has for us requires this kind of strength. A lot of the things that God has for us to do requires heart strength. And it don't matter tonight if you're one of those octogenarians, you're in your 80s. It doesn't matter if you're in your 70s. It doesn't matter if you're in your 30s or 40s. Your strength, the strength that God can give you to do what God wants you to do does not come with your physical stamina. It is not there because of how old you are or how young you are. Because the weapons of our warfare, the Bible says, are not carnal. They're not fleshly. But they are mighty to God through the pulling down of strongholds. Aren't you glad that the power is not of the flesh, but it's of the Spirit? God can enable you to do whatever it is that He has for you to do. I believe that. You can still do what God wants you to do. 
And so God has given Caleb this incredible power, this incredible promise uh, to keep him strong to do what he wants him to do. Caleb then had the boldness to step out by faith and claim it. Joshua 14, 12 says, Now therefore give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day, for thou heardest in that day how the Anakim were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be, the Lord will be with me. Then I'll be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. Verse 13, then of Joshua 15, And unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a part among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, even the city of Arvah, the father of Anak, which city is Hebron. Notice, and Caleb, Caleb did what? He drove them out, drove thence. The three sons of Anak, Anak, that is the Anakim, sons of Anak, Shishai, Ahaman, and Talmai, the children of Anak, the Anakim, drove them out. The city, the area, was known by name, and the name was Hebron. If that sounds familiar to you, it should. It is close on to the city of Shechem. It is close by, then, the place where Abraham had bought a parcel of ground. That stands out, because as far as we know, of all the land of promise, Abraham only bought one plot, and that was his burial plot, and it was at Hebron. Yeah. Long ago, centuries before, Abraham had paid for that ground. Abraham and Sarah and their family buried there, and now Caleb has taken it back for God and his people. We appreciate then his boldness and how that he continued as he had fully followed the Lord. And the Bible says that over and over again about Caleb. He followed the Lord and he kept following the Lord through all those times of battle, through all those years of difficulty as the decades passed on and on and on. Caleb continued in his faithfulness to God. And now, even though he's old, he's still boldly claiming those promises. A little incident happened that's recorded in Joshua chapter 15 that tells us something about this. I, I love the telling of this story. I have to be careful, especially when I'm reading King James English. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it, and he gave him Achsah, his daughter, to wife. And it came to pass, as she came unto him, that's to Caleb, uh, that she moved him to ask of her father a field, and she lighted off her ass, and Caleb said unto her, What wouldest thou? Who answered, Give me a blessing, for thou hast given me a south land. Give me also springs of water. And he gave her the upper springs and the nether springs. Now, as the land was being divided up, the Bible mentions the story of Othniel. Othniel had married Caleb's daughter. Remember, Caleb had a boldness about him. He wasn't afraid to claim God's promises. It's a step up to say, that's mine and I want it. And so uh, Caleb's daughter had married this guy named Othniel. And as they were coming before Caleb, they asked something. Uh, they had uh, a question they wanted to bring him. And, and uh, Exodus had apparently kind of put her husband up to asking her dad, uh, not just for that piece of property that they had received, but said, if we're going to have this land, we need the water supply to it. It makes perfect sense. She's a smart-thinking woman. Uh, she knew it. She said, let's just ask that for it. Go and ask him. But as they got there, 
Othniel kind of hesitated. He was a little bit scared. After all, it's mighty Caleb. My father-in-law, I understand, you know, hard to ask daddy-in-law about something. And, and then along came Aksah, and uh, she just got right off her donkey and went straight to Caleb to take care of this business. You see, that holy boldness seemed to have been passed on to his descendants, even to his daughters, which was almost unheard of in that time. For the Bible to single out how that Caleb's legacy of faith, of boldness, of claiming those promises of God was passed on to his family. You know, there's a lot of things worse that we can leave to our kids and grandkids. Sorry, Frank, I knew I'd do it. I kept trying to push it back under there. There's a lot of things that we could leave to our family as a legacy that would be a whole lot worse than have a boldness to claim the promises of God, that holy boldness to believe the Word of God and to step out by faith on the basis of that. After all, the Bible tells us you have not because you ask not. So, um, and we need, we need more believers to follow the teachings of Scripture. Close tonight with a simple question as we begin to prepare our hearts and minds for that time of response. Uh, if Jesus won the victory, and if that victory is yours, and it is, if you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, He has given you absolute and total victory. And according to His promises, He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Those are available to you. We might fuss at the children of Israel sometimes because God promised them so much land and they never occupied it. But let's ask ourselves tonight, how much of that victory Christ paid for with his own precious blood are we willing to actually possess? How long are we going to stay faithful to God in order to claim those promises and see them lived out in our life. Do we give up because we claim that promise and we don't see a victory in 15 minutes? 45 years. 45 years. And in every year that God kept him alive, listen, in every year God kept him alive, Caleb remembered God's faithful. God's faithful. He made me a promise. He's kept me alive another year. Many battles behind me. God's kept me alive. He's kept me going. Look at me. I'm still as strong today as I was then. God's not through. Keep believing. Keep being faithful. Let's stand together, please.